How about that? Very cool. And hey, we just want to we want to say thank you. And let me just state the obvious that not any one individual of us could actually have done something so collectively cool as that. So hear this. Thank you. And this is the power of team. We're talking today about how we are created as a team. And when we think about team, here's what I want you to just imagine for a moment. We're just here in Lenexa and Shawnee and, you know, we, we're in these various places around the world. But we're one of 2.3 billion that call Jesus Lord. And here in our city, we're just, we're just one piece of this big, big team that God has been building. So imagine all sorts of videos as, as we're wrapping up last year and thinking about this year, all over the city, all over the world, all of this amazing kind of impact and, and living from the deep heart of the Father who is team and who does team. Why don't you think about this? God who is team And does team. What do I mean he is team? Well, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is one, but as one one early church father said, God is not alone. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That at the very core of existence, there is team. And then Jesus comes. God dwells in the flesh, and he walks this earth. And if anybody would have been entitled to like be like the consummate individualist, it'd be Jesus. I mean, Jesus could have easily been like, nah, I got this. I'm just going to like multiply the loaves and the fish totally on me. Check me out. He didn't do that, right? He's like, you do this, you do this. Let's go together. He had three. We call them team captains, Peter, James, and John. He had 12, the disciples, 7,500. And here we are today as his church. And our little expression of that, there's all these little nano, micro expressions of your, your A2 groups, your small groups, the area communities that are being launched. And by the way, a new one in February for the Woodland area. So check that out online. But we get to be kind of this little tiny team among this humongous team that Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 2 from this series we're calling Masterpiece comes straight from Ephesians chapter two, we've been looking at it personally, but now I wanna turn and look at it collectively as a team. Look with me here, Ephesians chapter two. Notice all the plurality here. Notice the tense, notice uh, how, how he's writing this. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. I don't mean to offend any one of us, but he's not talking to you directly. Now, we can extrapolate. You are a masterpiece made in the image of God. Yes, you are. And yet he's talking to a people in a particular time, and he's talking from an eternal perspective, his church. We are his masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God has been dreaming up his dream team. And he wants you and I to think more like team than we do. In fact, Paul goes on in just two chapters later to, uh, to give us basically a pregame pump-up speech. Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to look at this with me, okay? Now, when I, when I look at this, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called, one Lord, one faith. I think of, and I'm sorry, I don't think of and, Andy Reid, even though with all the red in here, it feels a little bit like Arrowhead. <laughs> Way to go. I think of Dan Campbell from the Detroit Lions. Now, we can, we can root for the Lions, right? They're, they're in the NFA, NFC. It's a great story. We'll, we'll, we'll change our story after today, right? But right now, we're celebrating this, this comeback journey for them. And Dan Campbell, man, their head coach, like, he, like, that guy spits nails. He is fearless. 
And if you've ever seen him in, in like the locker room pre or post game, if you ever watch those you know, NFL highlight reels, they always like to show the coach with the players surrounded. I love that stuff. I wanna turn the reading of this little passage into a locker room moment. So here's my question. Any, anyone here that is a present or a past football coach? Anybody? Any football coaches among us? Did I see a hand? Did I see a hand? I saw this like, oh, what, what's this all about? I'm about to tell you. Could you, sir, could you give us Jesus' team, the pregame speech, read this at the top of your lungs? You're gonna have you stand up and read this from the top of your lung. No, I'm getting a head shake. I'm getting a head shake. Okay, so now that you know what I'm asking someone to do, anybody willing to play the coach, give us the pump-up speech, and as you do it, we're gonna be the players, and we're gonna be like, it'll be like, there's one body, we're like, yeah! And there's one spirit, come on! This is, this is how it's gonna roll, who wants to do it? Come on, I need a coach. What? Let's go! Let's go, so you stand up for us, shout your name. Anne-Marie, all right. So Anne-Marie, you're the coach. You gotta roll up your sleeves. We're right here with you. This is no longer a church building. This is a, this is a locker room, right? And you're sending us out on the field by giving us this pregame speech. Ready? You, sh you Just go in little chunk sizes so we can hoop and holler with you. Ready, go. Come on! Let's go! go charging out those doors to go leave it on the field. Here's my question for you. And thank you, Emery. That was incredible. Are you a team player? Are you a team player at home? Are you a team player in your friendships? Are you a team player at work or at school? I mean, literally, genuinely, are you, do you think team or do you think individual? First, in your neighborhood, are you a team player? Here at Westside, do you think team or do you think self? It's, it's challenging, isn't it? Over a year ago, I was challenged by one of my dearest friends from about, we've been friends for 30 years, and he basically just held up to the mirror to me and in effect said, Dan, you're not a team player, man. Let me tell you what it's like to be on the other side of you. He said, everything's on your terms. Everything's on your time. Don't know which Dan we're going to get. Are we going to get the shutdown Dan? Are we going to get the excited Dan? I don't know, but I'm tired of being your friend. And what he was telling me was, man, I'm just, I'm self-absorbed. I'm thinking it's an individual sport, not a team sport. And it, it was the most loving thing someone could have told me. It was, a, I'll just call it a loving rebuke. And I, I, I honestly think in our American mindset, we're, we think self before we think people. We think of ourselves as a person versus as a people. And when we come to the scriptures, it was exactly the opposite. It's always speaking to a people first and a person second. Isn't that wild? Just to even get our minds around it. But we know how this works with team, Right? If you bring a, collect, a collection of individuals and try to put them in a team and all they think of is individuals, are you going to have a good team? No. 
I mean, who's the worst team you can think of in, in sports history? <laughs> Somebody's like reading the script, man. That's awesome. Well, I'll give you my, this is just my opinion, but the 2004 U.S. men's Olympic basketball team, do you know the story? This is incredible, right? They had on their payroll over a billion dollars of NBA salary heading to, to Greece to play. They had LeBron James, they had Dwayne Wade, they had Allen Iverson, they had Tim Duncan. It goes on and on and on. They thought they could just show up as if it was just a little summer tournament and bless everybody by their presence and take, take the gold, but it didn't work that way. They had a checked out coach in Larry Brown. They had all sorts of toxicity and division within the clubhouse. They had the old guard, the young guard, and they didn't know how to get along. They were completely separated. You know where the Olympic, these world-class elite athletes, where they'd say it's called in the Olympics Village, the Olympic Village. Do you know where this team stayed? I'll show you a picture. They stayed on their own personal cruise liner. Does that say something? And so when they rolled into Greece, they absolutely got rolled. They didn't know how to play the international game. They didn't know how to space on the court. They didn't know how to be clubhouse uh, people and, and teammates to one another. And they ultimately they got smoked by Puerto Rico in the first, very first game. They lost to Lithuania, and then they lost in the semifinal to Argentina and came home with, from our American prideful mindset, the embarrassment of bronze. And when asked after the game, one Ar Argentinian Olympic player was like, how could this be? Probably from U.S. media, go, how could this be? How could we lose to you? Here's what he said. Well, they, the U.S. players, they're the best players in the world, but this is a team sport. We don't play them one-on-one. -on -one. We play them five-on-five. -five. This isn't tennis. And I wonder, as it relates to our faith, to being a community on mission together, living in the kingdom of God, do we, do we think we're playing tennis? Or are we playing a team sport? Because since the foundations of the world began, God is team and God does team. And that's how he's gonna bring his redemptive mission to full completion. It's through you and I being a team together. And so I just want to look in Ephesians chapter 4. I want to just drill this a little bit further down because Paul is talking team about how God has wired up his team. And the first thing is that Jesus has personally recruited you to be on his team. Did you know that? It says it right here in verse 7. But to each one of us, Paul writes, to each one of us, you, me, all of us, to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Apportioned means measured doled it out specifically and thoughtfully. He thought of you. Christ himself is the one doing the selection, and he's recruited you. Can, you. can you wrap your mind around that? And some of us can't, because we don't know what it feels like to be pursued, recruited, wined and dined. We know the alternative. Many of us know rejection. We know being looked past. I remember when I was 13, I tried out for a baseball team. It was a Pony League baseball team. And uh, I went through the tryouts, and then a week later, I got a phone call, and it show up for this practice. And the coach, who just, man, just this tobacco-chewing, curmudgeon old guy, he says, all right, boys, I want you to line up over there. Just line up in a single file across from me. He goes, and I, I've got my clipboard here. I'm going to read your name. And when I read your name, I want you to come to me and be on, on this side. 
So he starts reading off names. Bobby, Miguel, Jose, Johnny, boom, 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 gets all through, all 12. Guess who's the only one still standing on the other side? Me. He looks up from his clipboard and he says, who the blank are you? I think a lot of us have experienced a moment or many moments like that. You don't feel seen, you don't feel heard, you don't feel valued. You didn't know that you matter and all of a sudden some, some guy like me is up here saying that you've been since before the foundation of the world, you have been personally recruited by Jesus to be on his team and you just might wanna go, I can't, I can't even compute that. Or maybe you wanna disqualify yourself. You might wanna go like, no, you don't realize what I've done, you don't, I, I don't feel qualified, I haven't. No, 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 look, like, look with me again here. It says that to each one of us, grace Grace, grace, which says it's it's all taken care of. Grace, which says it's it's all, it's all gone. Grace, which said I don't care what you've done. Grace says I don't I don't care if you feel ill-equipped. This is a grace. Grace means gift. That's what it means. Like. I came to this earth. I laid my life down for your life so you can go free, so you can experience joy, and so you can know the deep love of my, of my heart for you. It's not like you've been drafted into something you don't want to be. This is like the greatest recruitment ever, and you're on the team. And number two, you have a position on this team. You're not there to be a bench warmer. Like, you have a role to play. And Paul, from... From verse 7, he then goes, verses, I'm just going to be honest, verses 8, 9, and 10, I have no idea what he's trying to say. But verse 11, I do. <laughs> Here's what he says. It's like this parenthetical insert. You, you can read it. It's, it I don't know. Uh, but here's verse 11. So, now, he, now he's listing out the players. So Christ himself, who, who's doing this? The coach. Coaches like thinking strategically about his team. And here are the, here are the positions. He gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. There's the five positions on this team. Now, the whole metaphor that Paul's working with here is the body, which is an awesome metaphor. And as one of my friends um, in, in the Netherlands, here's how he kind of describes apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. He's like, well, you've got like one, 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 uh, the apostles, like the right leg, and the right, it's just like the bull in China shop, like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's take ground. But then you've got the other leg, which is the prophet, and the prophet says, let's be in lockstep with the Holy Spirit at all, at all times. But then you've got the evangelist, who's just taking good news and just spreading it like seed, like, whatever I'm excited about, you're going to be excited about the evangelist just spreading news good news and then the shepherd is bringing the arm around the shoulder to bring care and and to 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 carry the burdens of those in 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 their relationships and then lastly you've got the teacher and the teacher's like the torso directing the whole body in the direction in which it should go bringing organization bringing structure and alignment to the truth that's the five what's often called the apest apostle prophet evangelist, shepherd, or teacher, or the fivefold, the five different positions in the kingdom of God that you and I are called to play. Now, is, does that help? The body analogy, is it working for you? I can't tell. I mean, maybe you disagree with the Apostle Paul and you don't like his metaphors. So I'm gonna take a risk and we're gonna shift from the body to football. 
You ever you remember the Pro Bowl? Remember when they were like uh, they used to actually play a Pro Bowl game and they'd actually kind of tackle one another and they all wore the same jerseys but they had different helmets. Let's talk about these five positions via different helmets. You got the apostle, it's green. Green means go. The apostle has this courage and bias for action. The apostle is more entrepreneurial in spirits. Likes to start things, doesn't always want to finish them because they've moved on to the next thing. But they've just got this ganas, right? They just want to constantly go after it. And they're constantly saying, let's go. By the way, as I go through this list, I'm going to ask you, what do you think you might be the role and position you have to play in the kingdom of God? So be paying attention. The next is the prophet. And the prophet, again, wants to be in lockstep with the Holy Spirit. You might hear the prophet saying, I'm sensing, I'm wondering, there's some spiritual musing, I'm even troubled, I'm having a sense that futuristically there might be drift between what God is doing and and where we are. Prophets have the most futuristic ability to see into the future. Then you have the evangelist, and the evangelist's big rally cry is, join us! Come be with us. In fact, we'll come to you and bring you with us and we'll be in your world, right? Because the evangelist is constantly has the heart for people far from God. They just desperately want people to know how much God deeply, deeply loves them. And then you have the shepherd. The shepherd has that kind of care stick of the shepherd saying, how are you doing really? When a shepherd is talking to you, they, they're not gonna blow past you. They're gonna be like, hey, how are you doing Really, what's going on in your life and in your, in your world? And then lastly, the teacher. Teacher who loves to bring structure, loves to put systems, likes to break things down into clear steps and heuristics, is constantly always wondering this question, is it true? Does it align with the plumb line of the scriptures? Is it true? Those are the, the five kingdom roles that we all get to play. We've all been given this grace, this gift. And I just wanna take a quick blink. We, we want you still to take your, your shape assessment. This is just a quick kind of blink assessment on top of that. How many of you think that from the little that I've told you that you're an apostle? You're just like, let's go, hurry up, let's, let's get after it, right? You like to play risk, not balderdash. How many of you are more apostle? Raise your hand if you think so. All right, cool. And by the way, online community, Speedway, um, go ahead and shout it out loud, post it in the chat, would be awesome. How many of you think that, you, that profit is your thing? You just have this, this sense, you can kind of see, sense, hear where, where things might be going in the future and you, you just have maybe this little bit of an attunement to the spirit of God. How many of you just go, I think I might have some prophetic in me. That is awesome, by the way. By the way, I want to acknowledge too, like terms like profit might kind of wig you out. You're like, profit, Really? Yeah, try it. Go to the Chiefs watch party later today and say, look what I learned in church. I'm a prophet. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't do that. But sincerely lean into that because we need you. We'll talk more about that. All right. How many of you think you're an evangelist? Your heart bleeds for those far from God. And you're just, oh, I love that. Like hand up there. Okay. Seeing a few. Few. Okay. How about shepherds? You just love to bring care. Great. Teachers, you're just constantly kind of asking the question, is this true, and, and how would we actually direct the whole body in one direction? Okay, teachers, loud and proud, yeah? All right. So here's my question. If what Paul is talking about is true, that you and I have a role in the kingdom of God, that's not just, you know, you have to be on staff or go to seminary, like, no, th- this is the whole team is on the field, 
are you on the field? Are you using the gifts from the toolbox of the Holy Spirit that we've talked about the last couple of weeks? And do you know your, your role and are you playing it? And one way we might know whether we are or we aren't is if I don't show up with my team, I missed and something didn't happen that could have. Because you and I, that's our responsibility. Do I know my role and am I playing my role? Because when we all come together and play our role, holy cow, here's your third point. Great teams rally together and we bring out the best in one another or each other. And this is what Paul is talking about. So verse 11, he goes, here's the positions, guys. So that, and anytime you see that, those two words, it's a Greek word, hina is the word in the Greek. And it's, it, it means the deep purposes of God that lead to great and deep impact. So that we come together, we all play our role so that the body, or we, or we want to say team of Christ, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. You ever kind of just ask the question, am I a mature believer? You know, you can't answer that without also answering, am I a team player? Paul is pinning maturity in our walk with how well we play on the team and the maturity of us as a team together. He, he concludes, attaining to the whole measure. There's that word measure again. Christ apportioned us this gift, but now we bring it all together to the fullness of Christ. When his team is fully deployed, Christ shows up in fullness. How cool is that? And how does it work? Well, that's what the whiteboard's for. I'm going to draw a four-square matrix because I think the whole world and its ails can be explained and solved by a four-square matrix. And let's just scatter plot these positions on this based on some of us in our roles, we are thinking about today and the present all day long. But others of us, we're thinking about the future, constantly living in the future and struggle to even be present here and now. This is how we process information. Now, how do we make decisions? Well, we make decisions based on, some of us, on people and the things that we hold dear, we call those values. And then others make decisions based on structure, it's very cerebral, there's strategy, there's organization, right? Organization, that's that word right there. Okay, so now, where would we put these five positions? Let's start with apostle. Is apostle present or future? Very future, right? Apostle is the entrepreneurial spirit. Let's go. Let's try something. Who cares if we fail, right? Let's go take the hill. I don't care if we die unless we all die. Like that's, the, that's that bias for action. And so the apostle is also very strategic, wants to win, very competitive. And so we would put the apostle down here. Where would you put the prophet, present or future? Very future, right? Now, I, I won't ask because it's a little tricky. Prophets have this unique ability, very sophisticated you are, prophets, to uh, some of you are more people and values-based and others of you are more cerebral in your sensing. How about evangelists? Where would you put evangelists? Okay, this can be a little tricky. Evangelists are very future-based because they're always thinking about the next relationship and the next possibility for the kingdom of God to break open, particularly as it relates to people far from him. And so the evangelists are up here. 
What about shepherds? Where would you put a shepherd? They care about people, and people are a present reality. And so the shepherds are here. Lastly, teachers. Right. Teachers are thinking about how do we bring organization, how do we align ourselves to the plumb line of truth, and that's all about the here and now. The first thing I want you to just see is as God makes up his team, he knows how to space well on the court, doesn't he? Isn't that cool? And I'll also say that if you study things like Myers-Briggs and Jungian archetypes, actually they all point to what was true thousands and thousands of years ago in the scriptures. It's all there. God's been thinking this up. He's had it on his clipboard. God is team, and God does team, and we need to be more and more of a team. Because, man, if one of us doesn't play a role, we have problems. What if the shepherd doesn't show up? What do we miss? What do we lose? What? Say it one more time. Oh, yeah, yeah, we lose sheep. That's right. That is exactly right. That's awesome. And it's true, especially when we're the sheep. There's no care. Uh, When the teacher doesn't show up, what do we lose? Truth. We're just, well, I just wonder what's the latest trend of the day, and let's just follow that because it's popular, or I saw it on TikTok or whatever it might be, right? What, What do we lose when we don't have the prophet? leaning in and sensing. Man, we can set all of our plans, we can do all of our strategic planning and and slowly drift away from where the Spirit wants to move. We can begin to ask the Spirit to work within our plans and structure. And so we constantly need sometimes the agitation of the prophet to to be able to keep us honest, to be in lockstep with the Holy Spirit. What do we lose if we don't have the evangelists? Then if we don't have evangelists out there trying to just share and walk with others who don't know the Lord so that they know the deep love of God for them, then, then it's just a big holy huddle. We're just all loving ourselves. It's spiritually incestuous. And what if we don't have the apostles? Well, we might as well plan for obsolescence, Right? Because we need the apostles to bring that courage to try the new thing, to break the, the old tradition and the new paradigm, the new wineskin, as Jesus would call it. And by the way, let me say this. I, I've not yet said this in any of the services. Guess what Jesus was? He was in fullness, the sent one as the apostle, the great teacher, the evangelist, and the good shepherd, and the prophet. So when Paul says we bring the fullness of Christ together, that's what happens in the fullness of Jesus, who was 100% all those things. We embody that. We represent that. And it's amazing. And just kind of going through this exercise might explain a few things to us. One is, for any of these voices here, evangelists, prophets, apostles, it's possible that you don't like church. Maybe for different reasons. Apostles, you're like, church feels like a waste of time. We should be doing something. (laughs) Prophets, you don't always know where you fit because when you try to speak at times into leadership, they don't know have a place to file what you're saying. Evangelists, you're like, why are we just, why are we all here just loving on each other? There are people in this world who need to know Jesus. 
And it's in this context, the present context, that most churches are structured. Teachers and caregivers, and this becomes church. But a great team has everybody on the court. A great team has everyone deployed. This, by, all, by the way, also might explain some of your interpersonal relationships. For example, when the apostle comes to the shepherd, and the shepherd says, how are you doing really? And the apostle says, let's go. What's your point, right? All of a sudden you go, huh, this might be explaining my marriage. I understand this now. When the teacher and the evangelist come together and the evangelist is so excited about something and, and the, the teacher's like, well, how do you know that to be true? And the evangelist's like, I don't know. It just, it feels true to me. You see how even interpersonally, we need every single one of us to show up and without we get something, or with all. If it's all teacher, then guess what we're, we run the risk of? Legalism. If it's all evangelists, guess what we run the risk of? Watering down the gospel just to be liked. See how this works? Do you see how we need every single one of us leveraging the toolkit and playing our role? And when we do, Man, it leads to a stout defense and a relentless offense. That's what Paul talks about as he, as he goes on here. Check, check this out. He goes, now all, as all of this comes into the fullness of Christ, then, verse 14, we will, this is the defensive part. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That's the defense. It's like we make gold line stands. They're not punching this into the end zone, right? That's pretty awesome. But look at how verse 15 begins. Instead, this is the offense part. Paul is basically saying, well, if you want a great defense, it starts with an awesome offense. So what's that? Speaking the truth in what? We will grow to become in every respect, there's that word again, the mature team of him who is the head, Jesus is the head coach. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in what? In love. As each part, you and me, as each part does its, its work. My quick analysis of the American church at large is that we play way too much defense and not enough offense. And I think it's because 30, 40 years ago, every game was a home game. We were always at Arrowhead, but a lot shifted underneath our, our feet, hasn't it? And the reality is for Christ followers today, every game is a road game. We're playing in Buffalo or Baltimore. Now, here's the good news. Historically, the church has always been at its finest. Jesus' team has always been at its very best on the road. And these are the things that I love about what we're giving ourselves to. Area communities, what you're doing in your neighborhood, that's an offensive, work with me on the word, that's a good offense, caring for your neighbors. In your A2 groups, with the care center, that's not for us. Yeah, sure, we're gonna benefit from it and we'll, we'll receive care through it. But man, that's for, that's for the neighbors in our city and beyond, and that's for the neighbors that haven't even actually constructed their buildings just next to those properties. That is a great offense. 
And we need more of that, less fear-based, more leaning into the kind of vision Jesus had for his church when he said, like, when you do this church, I'm building my church, I'm building my team, and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. What gates is he talking about? The gates of hell. Who's doing the storming? Who's trying to punch it into the end zone? It's us as church, and we do it in love. Yes? Let me just give you one last example of team. So when I was uh, with you last, I was in December, I shared the story about Frank. I ran into Frank at a coffee shop. All I wanted was my, my, my Dan time, right, my solitude time. Frank, who, as I said before, doesn't present well in this world according to the world's standards. He is severely disabled. You can hardly understand it when he speaks. He often will drool. Um, his feet and his, his hands are mangled. And um, we had once met before, and he saw me and came over to me, and, and then he prayed for me blew my mind by caring for me. And I shared this story with you. And I had some curiosity, like, Lord, is there anything more for Frank and all of this? And, but I hadn't done anything about it. A few weeks ago, I get an email from one of you, a Westsider named Paul. And he said, hey, you mentioned Frank and how bad and how difficult it is for him to walk. We have a motorized scooter that we'd love to gift him if you'll just introduce us. Well, I had given Frank my cell phone, but he hadn't given me his. And all I knew was that it was just at this coffee shop. And so I just emailed him back. I said, hey, I don't really know how to find Frank. I just, it was at a coffee shop. He emails me right back. I was thinking it was done at that point. He emails me back, goes, which one? We'll, we'll go over the city to find him. We've done it before. I'm like, well, it was such and such a coffee shop. And the owner's name is so-and-so. He goes, so-and-so? We know him. He's like a Westsider. I'm calling him right now. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and um, three days ago, he, Paul, and his friend, Doc, they coordinate with the coffee shop owner. They track down Frank, who his name is actually Ed. I must tell you this now. You'll appreciate this if the story's ever about you. <laughs> they track him down to his house. They get a trailer, and, um, and they present to Ed his motorized scooter. Here's a picture. And uh, we have a little 10-second clip of his first ride on the scooter, so let's check that out, too. <laughs> You got it figured out. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Yeah, so, um, <clears throat> hey, just, just two things. One is, um, I couldn't have done that. And if I'm honest, I probably wouldn't have done that. But Paul would. And Doc would join him. And he wouldn't have known about it, I guess, unless I talked about it. You see how team works? And the second thing is, uh, right after that video was taken, guess what happened next? Ed prayed for Paul and Doc. Ed knows his role. Just like he had prayed for me last December. 
How beautiful on the hills are the feet of one who brings good news. And that's what Ed does. He knows his role. You know, I want to say that in this team sport, there are no spectators, but that's not true. For followers of Jesus, there's no bench warmers. There's only players, but there are spectators. It is a road game. And guess who's watching? It's those who are deeply hurt and broken and sometimes hurt by us, the church. It's those who lie awake at night despairing, wondering, is there a God out there and might he care at all? And they're at times angry and they don't understand our convictions. But they just need to know they are they are seen, they are valued, they are heard, that God has had their name on his clipboard since before the foundations of the world began. And so will you, will you be that team player? Will you step into your role? Even as quickly as today at the end of the service, there's all these tables spread out where you can just go and say, how might I lock arms with this team? to do the good work that was prepared for me and for us ages ago. So here's how I want us to close. If you're able and willing, would you stand to your feet right now in this moment? I wanna take you back to the locker room. And Anne-Marie gonna let you off the hook on this because now all together as one team, we're gonna come back to the message that we are a masterpiece. But we're not reading it just for myself, we're reading it for us. Westside Family Church. And so with gusto, as we lead into song and out the door to be the very team that Jesus dreamt of, let's out loud read this together. Ready? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the name of God who is team and does team and invites you to play team, go today in his love, his grace, and his joy, amen.